This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. As I was getting ready for this message, talking about being a church member, specifically about being a unified church member, I couldn't help but go back to my college days a couple of hundred years ago. And I remember I did youth work then. I was a youth leader, youth pastor, youth director. And a couple of times a year, we'd take our teenagers to camp. We'd take our students to different places in Florida and we'd go to a youth camp, just like Aaron takes uh, our students to Snowbird. And at the last day of camp, what we would do every time we met was we would have an old man and a young man football game, which consisted of the counselors, the Bible college professors, the leaders, the old guys. Now, from a student's perspective, that's 25 and above. All right. But there are some in the group, some of the old guys, they were in their 30s and 40s. We even had a couple of 60-year-olds. And so every year we would challenge the students, the teenage guys, to a game. And these were 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old students. Some of them played for their high school football teams. Y'all are crazy. I bet that's what you're thinking. But I'm here to tell you that every year we did that, and every camp that we did, the old men won every game. That's right. (laughs) The broken down, feeble, struggling old men won every game. And the big question lingering now is, how'd you do that? Well, we would announce it the first of the week. And then sure enough, all the young guys, they would say, oh man, they talk smack. They'd start, oh, you bunch of old geezers. We're going to tear you up. You guys haven't played football since Moses was in diapers. You're not going to do anything. And they just holler and shout and, and do all of that stuff. And all through the week, they just talk smack. And us old men, we just walk by and just, you know, smile at them. And we'd see them huddled in the corner. And they're arguing about what the name of their team was going to be for one thing. You know, our team was the old men. Okay. (laughs) We were happy with that. Or they would argue about this or they would argue about that. And they would then shout at us from their little huddle and we would just smile and wave. And then the day of the game came and we'd get out there on that field And we'd line up and some guys on the old men's side were wearing knee braces and and some guys were, you know, you could smell the the Bengay ointment (laughs) and everything else. And we'd get up there and uh, and and you get the young guys and they were they were like young bulls just huffing and, and scraping in the ground. And we'd get lined up and ready to go. And all of a sudden we had to stall because the young men had to decide who the quarterback was going to be. Young men had to decide who it was going to be. And they'd fight. They'd argue. Well, I played for high on my, I play on my high school team. What do you all, I'm a running back. Well, what makes you think you'd be? And they would fight and argue. And we'd have to stand there for a little bit until they got it settled who was going to be the quarterback. And sure enough, we'd line up for the first play and the ball would be snapped. And we always let them have the ball first because old men are nicer. Okay. And so (laughs) we always let them have the ball first and they'd snap the ball and we'd go at it and we'd rush them. And then sure enough, we'd either, we'd either tag the quarterback or we'd knock the pass out of the air. And what would happen was we would just, you know, some of us guys say, hey, hey, we're pretty good. But the old, young guys would gripe at each other. They would fuss at it. You're an idiot. You, you can't play quarterback. And they would fight over it and we'd have to stall the game 
for a couple more minutes while they fought over that. And the moral of the story is the reason why we won every game is not because we were better athletes than these young guys. These young guys were great. They had all the energy, all the stamina, all the strength. They had the talent in that. But what we did is we let them argue and fuss over things. We let them get mad at each other. We let them, because what we were trying to do is demonstrate something. And even if your side is struggling physically or in some other way, if you struggle together, you can still prevail. If you stay on the same page, if you support one another instead of backbite one another, if you stand by each other and work off each other's strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, there are some old men who wanted to be a quarterback and they didn't. But that's all right. It was just a fun game for us. But every time we met, we won. We won. And what that shows me as I reflect on that, on that is that unity is a very powerful, powerful resource in an organization. As a matter of fact, the organization can be hampered by finances. The organization can be, can be dragging with difficulty. The organization could, could be weak in many other ways. But if an organization is in unified lockstep, they're a powerful, formidable force. In history, I think of the American Revolution, the War of Independence. In that war, a bedraggled, ragtag colonial group of farmers and shopkeepers and tradesmen took on the greatest military machine in the world at the time and prevailed. And the reason why is they had a unifying, unifying theme, and that was freedom. So as we look at being a church member and as we talk about being a church, this morning we're going to see that a unified church is a form formidable thing indeed. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, it is so great to be in this place today. Father, I thank you for all my dear brothers and sisters who are here this morning. Thank you for my family that I get to spend time with. Thank you that I get to, before the service, chat with them, talk with them, cut up with them, laugh together, share concerns. Thank you that prior to this, we were able to meet in our Bible study, small group and Sunday school classes to learn together. Father, what a blessing Sundays are. What a blessing it is to be among your people. Father, we are your church. We are your called out assembly. We are the body of Christ in this place. You have called us for the purpose to give you glory through the proclamation of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, as we gather together, you mean to, to equip us and to energize us through your word. And Father, while there might be other religious institutions and bodies, there might be other worldly institutions and bodies that are more financially strong, physically strong. Father, as we rally around Jesus Christ, there is nothing stronger than the church of Jesus Christ. So bless us as we examine your word today. May it give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about the idea that, yes, I am a church member, and my desire is to be, I want to be a unifying church member. And Tom Rayner, who is the author of the book we've been telling you about, 
of the same title. I am a church member. I'd love to tell you that I'm clever and came up with that title. I am not. But what he said about the, the, the idea of unity in the church, he said this. He says, you have a responsibility as a church member. Stop there. Church membership is not just, again, a club membership where you get the perks and the freebies and the benefits. I wouldn't even know what those are in a church. But as a church member, you have a responsibility just as much as myself and Aaron and Richard have responsibilities as pastors in the church. So here's your, some of your responsibilities. And remember that as a church member, you are indeed responsible. He goes on to say, you are to be a source of unity. You are never to be a divisive force. You are to love your fellow church members unconditionally. And while that doesn't mean you agree with everything and everyone all the time, and you won't, it does mean you are willing to sacrifice your own preferences to keep unity in your church. And that's the premise we're going to launch from this morning. The idea that as church members, we are responsible to be a source of unity, not just to keep the peace, but to be a source of that peace, to be a source of that unity. So I want you to take your Bibles with me, if you will. We're going to look at a very small passage in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. So turn your Bibles to there, to Ephesians, and we're going to look at a couple of things this morning. In the book of Ephesians, wonderful book, very encouraging book. As a matter of fact, theologians have called Ephesians the sister book to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Because Joshua is, a such, is such a powerful book. Joshua talks about the, the successes of the children of Israel as they obeyed God and followed God and served God and honored God in taking of the land that God had promised them. And in a sense, the church is like the children of Israel in that we have now been also given a land, a mission field, if, it, if you will. And God has called upon you and I to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Literally, that means as we are going about our daily routines of going to work, going to the grocery store, going to school, we are God's army charged with going out and, and winning victories for, for heaven, storming the gates of hell, as Jesus said, to bring the good news of salvation to the lost and to encourage those who are broken. That's what we're here for. And Paul uses the analogy in chapter four of walking. He's going to talk in chapter four of Ephesians and, and, and go through chapter five, speaking of the, the walk of the people of God as we go about our lives. That's what it means when the Bible talks about as we walk, we're going about our lives. We're going about our routine. And he begins, interestingly, interestingly enough, in this passage concerning walking as a church in unity. Are you catching a theme here? When we looked at Jesus' high priestly prayer, the true Lord's prayer in John 17, the major issue he prayed when he prayed for you and I, those who would believe because of the apostles' ministry, that's you and I, when he prayed for us, the first thing that was on his heart and mind was our unity. Paul, when he was talking about the proper functioning of the body of Christ, even though he didn't dwell on unity specifically, if your body is going to function properly, it needs to be together. 
So this idea of unity, it's not an accident that God keeps bringing it through scripture for us and especially in the church. So this morning, we're going to focus on walking in unity. And it involves a few things because it takes Paul a little time before he actually gets to the subject of unity. Look in chapter four of Ephesians. We're going to start in verse one. Notice what it says here. He says that indeed, he says in verse one, or excuse me, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. He says, I'm I'm begging you. And he's calling himself a prisoner of the Lord because Paul wrote this letter from a prison, much like he did the book of Philippians when we went over that last year. Paul was sitting in a Roman prison writing and encouraging people who were free people and not in prison, at least not in a physical prison. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you, notice this, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And that calling with which you are called, you're a Christian, you're a believer. And as a church member, you are a called out assembly. When you got saved, you were called out of the world and into the body of Christ. So Paul is going to encourage his recipients to walk worthy of that. To walk worthy of that calling. Just as if you were called on to do something special at school or you were called on to do some special project at work or you were called on to do something special for your country or something like that. You want to walk worthy of that. You want to do that well. That's what God is asking of you and I. He wants us to walk worthy of our calling. And he's going to talk about walking in unity. And we're not going to look at the entire passage this morning because it's rather lengthy. But I want you to notice a couple of things as he talks about walking in unity. And he's heading for that that subject. First, he's going to talk about walking in patience and humility. See, before he really gets to the nut of the subject of humility, he's going to build his case in a deductive manner. He's going to tell us, first of all, that we need as we walk, if we want to be a unified body of Christ, if we want to bring him glory, then we need to first walk in patience and humility. Look what he says as we continue in verse two. He says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering. You know, what he's talking about is basically humility. What is humility? Some people think think that humility is not thinking high of yourself. I like what Warren Wearsby, the great preacher and and commentarian said, it's not that at all. Humility is not, not thinking high of yourself. Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. That's what being humble is. I see a lot of people in false humility. Oh, I'm not smart enough to teach that Sunday school class. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't. Oh, woe is me. No, 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 no. That's that's not humility. Putting yourself down is not humility. Oh, I'm too old to work with children's ministry. Oh, I can't teach the young people. I didn't go to seminary. Oh, I can't, I can't be a deacon because I, you know, you fill in the blank. Oh, I can't, I can't, what was me? I'm not smart enough, big enough, strong enough, pretty enough, whatever it is. That's not humility. Putting yourself down is not humility. Listen, if God has called you to do something, you do it. And it's not putting yourself down. It's not thinking less. It's not thinking of yourself at all. That's what humility is. Humility is not, gee, I can't do it. Humility is, Lord, I'll try it. I'll do it. And then letting God work out the details. Humility is basically putting yourself last. That's hard to do because we live in a culture 
in the United States of America that seeks to tell us that we should put ourselves first. Advertisers do it. Be the first on your block to have this car. Be the first in your class to have this pair of jeans. Be the first here. Be the first there. Be the first one to get this special information. Be the first one in line. That's not what Jesus told us, is it? Matter of fact, in Matthew, he said, they that will be first shall be last in the kingdom of God. And they that will be last shall be first. Humility is putting yourself last and putting others first. That's hard to do, isn't it? I know when I was growing up, because my dad was in the Air Force, we did a lot of our stuff in McDill Air Force Base. And on the base, we would go to the base commissary. That was the grocery store. And we would go to the BX, the base exchange. That was the department store. And I was a little boy. We would go specifically to those places to get what we needed. And I remember going to the grocery store a couple of times and getting in the long line at the grocery store. The long lines are always at the grocery store. And I remember kind of as a little boy, I was impatient. Thank heavens I've grown out of that. And I remember when I was standing in line with my mom, a guy walked up in his uniform and he, there was like, there were two or three people, then us, and then another couple of people in this long line. And I remember we were all just standing there waiting and I was like, Ancy, I'm ready to go home. I don't want to be here. And this guy comes up and he's wearing his uniform. And next thing I know, he's going up in line and going to the head of the line. And my little six or seven year old self said, wait a minute, that's not right. And I think I said rather loudly to my mother, mother, he cut in line. And my mother, the wise woman, shh, be quiet. Because I wasn't really old enough to understand the sign that said uniform personnel take precedence. Now I understand why they deserve to go ahead. But as a little boy, I didn't realize that. I didn't understand that. And it bothered me for a long time till finally I got old enough where I was in line and I read that sign. And then I was able to say, if I saw somebody in uniform, I'd say, ma'am, sir, you go ahead. Because it was what you were supposed to do. See, because understand this, humility and putting others first is difficult. It's not, it's not natural to us. It really isn't. If there's a chow line, we run for it. We want to be first in line. We want to get all the good stuff. You know what the tough part about being the pastor of a church at homecoming? Especially if you have a guest speaker. You got to kind of wait and shake hands at the door with all the people as they go out. And then you usually get in line in the last line. And then when you go through, all the good stuff is picked over. All the fried chicken is gone. I look over and see Richard Reed's plate and he's got it piled. All the fried chicken is gone and all the desserts. And listen, I see some of you go, oh, my health is really bad. I see some of y'all carrying desserts that are hanging off your plate. (laughs) So I usually get what's left over and that's fine. That's understandable. But you know what? We're not, it's not natural for us to put other people first, but you know what it is? It is spiritual. It is the thing that God is calling us to do. We are to walk in patience and humility. And if you're going to walk in humility, you're going to have to be patient. 
The Bible here calls it long suffering in the New King James translation. Suffering long, allowing somebody to do something when you'd rather do it yourself or do it first. That is what humility is. That's what, that's what it is. It involves patience. We need to look, learn to put other people first and put ourselves last. And we need not to put ourselves down. We need not just think of ourselves at all. And understand this, when we do that, we are liberated and it's easier to gather together and come together. So we are to walk in patience and in humility. Not only that, but he tells us also that we are to walk toward peace and tranquility. We are to walk toward peace and tranquility. You know, oftentimes when we think of being peacemakers or, or helping with, we don't think and don't realize that that's something that we have to do on purpose. That's something that we actually have to pay attention to. Often when I'm in a church business meeting, my role as pastor, I am the moderator. And by virtue of that title, my title of moderator is I'm to keep things moderate. I'm to make sure that nothing raucous breaks out, that no fights start, that nobody gets ugly to each other and everything calms down. And I've, I've shut meetings down before to keep that from happening. I have to make sure, I have to be intentional about being a peacekeeper. Paul says we're to walk with lowliness and gentleness in verse 2 and with long-suffering. Notice what he says, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. Putting up with each other. And understand this, this is a matter of priority. This is something that we need to put on our radar as believers, as Christians, as church members. It needs to be something that we're always conscious of when we're at church, whether we're in small group, Bible study, Sunday school, whether we're meeting in children's ministry or senior adult ministry, whether we're with the students in the back with the praise team on Wednesday or Thursday night rehearsing. One of the things that we need to keep on the, on the top of our, our mind and the tip of our tongue, we need to make sure that always we are looking after peace and being aware when some kind of issue wants to break out. We need to do what we can to make sure it does not. Now understand this. We need to make sure that we don't compromise our doctrine. We don't compromise our convictions. We're not to keep peace at the expense of truth. Don't get me wrong. But even when we do in, when we do rather speak of issues that we disagree with, and look, we're going to disagree with each other sometimes, if not many times. You're not going to agree with everything. I mean, I could, do, I, could get, I could get stuff started right now. I could tell you right now there are things we all don't agree on. I'm not going to have a raise of hands. You can keep your hand down. But how many of y'all like liver mush? Oh, I didn't say raise your hand. And then how many of us don't? You know, thank you. Amen. You can put your hand up there. Okay, there you go. I'm watching you, Allison. Now we can disagree on stuff like that. We can disagree on what our favorite football team is or baseball team. We can disagree even on politics. Problem, and I'll tell you the problem with that is we've allowed the problems of politics to come into the church. We can disagree, but we must be agreeable in our disagreement. We must be careful not to disrespect one another. We must be careful not to put down each other. 
We need to be careful that we don't try to win an argument to the point where we lose that person that we're speaking with. Yes, we can disagree. We can disagree charitably. We can disagree with peaceful intentions. And that's why even in our disagreements, we need to make sure peace is at the top of our radar. It's also a matter of preference. And again, he says, Tom Rainer says in that initial paragraph I read, we need to put aside our preferences at church. We need to put aside our, what we want at church. Instead of focusing on what we want, we need to put aside, what do we think first God would want? And we think of that as, you know, as far as the music is concerned. We think of that as far as how the building is arranged, everything. It's almost like we all have, I want the chairs to be here rather than there. I want hymns rather than contemporary. I want contemporary rather than hymns. You know, we get, we get so caught up in minutia. Where's Dan? I thought I'd use that word for you today. We get so caught up in the little things that we forget the big picture. And more often than not, those little disagreements, those little fights are because of personal preference and have nothing to do with the main reason the church exists. We fight over church music. We fight over arrangement of chairs. We fight over what color to paint the walls. We fight over this. We fight over that. And while we're doing that, people are dying and going to hell. You know, watching Christians argue and fight is like watching... I've got this in my mind. It's like watching two chefs arguing over how to cook a pork chop properly while a person is sitting at the table starving to death. That's what's going on. And it's all about personal preferences. It doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what you want. What, is, what does God want? You say, Pastor, well, how do we know what God wants? Here's a clue. Open the word. Study the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? You say, but, but pastor, the Bible doesn't men mention X, Y, and Z specifically. Maybe not. But we can know God's heart through the scriptures enough to make those decisions. No, the Bible doesn't speak to certain specific, you know, God, the Bible doesn't say in Hezekiah 4.3, the chairs shall be set in row after row. But what about God's heart in scripture do you see? I'll tell you what I see. God doesn't want anything that would distract from our focus on him. Amen. There you go. That's a general principle of God's heart, not a specific principle of our preference. So as we go through church membership, yes, we're to walk toward peace and tranquility. It should be a matter of priority. That should be something that we all work toward to keep the peace, not at the expense of truth. There are going to be times we disagree, but even then we should do that peacefully. And we should part after we disagree, still loving and caring about each other. Doesn't mean we have to agree, but we, need, we still need to keep the peace. He tells us that we need to bear one another. The word bear literally means to carry one another, to hold up each other. The Bible also, other places, uses the old English word to forbear. And it means to put up with. Literally means to put up with. And we do it in our families at home for the most part. We put up with some things. Why? Because we love each other at the end of the Oh, we don't get drippy and come out and say it all over each other. Oh, I just love you. Some families don't necessarily do that, but we love one another and we, we put up with things. There are things in your marriage that you, you probably get on your nerves, but you put up with because you love your spouse. 
Say, Pastor, what are some of you things that you, I'm not that stupid, okay? <laughs> Thought you had me there, didn't you? What are you upset about, Pastor? Give us a list. No, I'm not doing that. Susan never does anything wrong. Is that, are we recording this, right? Okay, good. <laughs> but at the end of the day, folks, we are to pursue this stuff and we're to make sure that we walk toward peace and tranquility. Not, I'm going to get my way. I want it done my way. This had better do, you better do what I want to do. And if I don't like it, I'm going to get a crowd up and we're going to come to the business meeting and we're going to raise sand. No, 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 no. We are to walk toward peace and tranquility, peacefulness. Listen, there's enough chaos out in the world. Do you want that in the church as well? We call this room the sanctuary. Now it's just a room and sanctuary is a big word, but we need to come together with our focus on Christ when we're in this place. And we need to take all the fuss and all the feud and all the falderall in the world and leave it out there and come and focus on God. We need to walk toward peace and tranquility. Finally, he also talks about our walk when he says we need to, or the whole concept here is we need to walk with perspective and stability. He says that we need to walk with lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering patience and, and putting our preferences last, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another, putting up with each other in love. We need to walk with perspective and stability. Again, we as church members need to get our perspective. What is our church, what is our perspective? We are church members. We are the body of who? Jesus Christ. This is not my church. We saw this back in Matthew chapter 16. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I will build my church. This isn't Mike Farley's church. This isn't Mike Brooks' church. This isn't Suzanne Clark's church. This isn't uh, 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 Mel Carr's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And walking with long suffering and putting up with one another and moving in that direction causes us to have perspective and we can keep that perspective if we understand that. If we bear with one another the way we do that, how do we do that? Well, we do that by realizing this doesn't belong to me in the first place. This is not my church. It is not your church. It is his. We don't have time for proprietary infighting. That's my Sunday school class. You can't take those chairs out. That's my, that's my seat. You can't sit there. When did this all come to play? We need to walk and make sure we walk with all stability and, and, and perspective. Number one, we need to be unified by the Spirit. That's how we do it. The Bible says when we got saved, we had the Spirit of God indwell in us. And therefore, we need to walk in that spirit. We need to be unified in that spirit. We need to make sure that we all are coming together for the same reason. Why do you come to church on Sunday morning? Have you asked yourself that lately? Why do I come to church? Well, I come to see all my friends. Well, I come to make sure they do things right. Well, I've got to come to make sure and I've got to come and do, I've got to come and be, and we fill that in. Why do you come to church on Sunday morning to begin with? The proper perspective is that we come to church on Sunday morning to worship Almighty God. That's why we're here. And that Spirit of God should unify us in that. 
Not only on our Sunday worship, but also our mission, what we're about. What we're here for to begin with. We're here to bring people to Christ. We're here to be energized and equipped for that task. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have Wednesday night. That's why we have senior adult meetings, student meetings, children's meetings. We come to get equipped with the word of God, with truth, with doctrine. And we come to get energized so that we might be excited about the things that we are to do. Through the spirit of God, we're to walk with perspective. It's not my church, it's his unified in the spirit. And also we're bonded together in peace. It says that we're to walk in that way. It says not only with long suffering and bearing one another, but in verse, uh, verse two in love. Now look at verse three, endeavoring to keep the unity. There's that word. Finally, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we are to keep our unity in that bond of peace and that peace bonds us together. That's where the stability comes from. Stability in a church isn't going to come from politically agreeing with each other. We're all Republicans. We're all Democrats. It doesn't work that way. It comes from we're all believers in Christ. We've all been baptized by the spirit into his body. We're all body parts of the body of Christ. We're all missionaries with a mission. That's the stability. And we come together and focus on that. And when we focus on those principles, there's peace. We're unified by the spirit, bonded in peace, walking in long suffering and care of one another. There should not be any major church disputes. There should not be any major church fights. One group should never be pitted against each other. And you know what that means? The whole concept of church unity means that things aren't always going to go the way you want them to go. I'm the lead pastor of the church. Can I tell you something? Things don't always go the way I want them to go. They don't. And I get disappointed and I get saddened by it. My heart sometimes even gets broken. Because things don't always go the way I want them to go. But do I get up? I, I mean, I could get up in the pulpit every Sunday morning and beat the daylights out of y'all if I wanted to. And I know pastors that do that. But I'm not going to do that. I never have and I never will. Are there days that I want to? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. But I pray every time I go, Lord, don't let it be about me. Let it be about you. And that's the key. Because understand something, we, we, we are, we're, we're together, we're a team. We're the body of Christ. And we read in 1 Peter, remember we went through 1 Peter? And it talked about all the suffering and the difficulty that the believers went through there as they traveled through the world. Portion of 1 Peter talked about the unity and the bond and the necessity of being together. And we need to hang together. We need to love one another in spite of disagreeing and difficulty at times. So we need to walk in unity. That means we have to walk in patience and humility. Unity isn't going to come unless we're patient with each other, putting each other first, and not thinking of ourselves at all. 
Trusting in God to meet what needs that we have. Trusting in God to work through the issues that we have. We need to walk in peace and tranquility. We need to put peace at the top of our list. We need to put peace on our radar. We need to make sure that we are aggressively seeking peace in the church. And we need to make sure that doing so, we create a tranquil environment, putting our own preferences aside and seeking God's preferences. And you know what? That takes work. And we need to walk with perspective and stability. Perspective. We are unified with Christ as we put up with one another, as we bear one another's burdens. We walk unified in the spirit. We're unified with love, love for God, love of God. And we're bonded together in peace. That's what keeps us bonded together. That's why it's so pleasant to come to church, to worship together on Sunday mornings. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I, there, my world's a mess. Having to deal with all that you and I have to deal with, having to listen to the garbage on the news, having to look at the disgruntlement on social media, having to deal and see all the chaos in the world. Don't you feel like sometimes just coming here, you can take a breath. At least that's the way it should be. And we should then get excited about Christ and him alone. Paul ends this section in Ephesians chapter four, beginning in verse four. And he's going to remind us again about how we are unified. And he says this, he says, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. You hear, you hear a word being used over and over again. One God and the Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. We are one body in one Savior, baptized by one Spirit, with one purpose, with one goal. And God, it's His preferences that count because He is above all, through all, in all. It's all about Him. That's what church unity is. That's what church unity should be. Putting ourselves last and God first. So I leave you with the next pledge this, this morning as we close. What is the second pledge? Tom Rainer has in his book, as he's called this from scripture, the second pledge is this. And I want you, to, it's in your bulletin. I want you to take it home and I want you to read it three or four times this week and pray over it. But here's the second pledge. Are you courageous enough to take this pledge? It says, I am a church member. I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. I know there are no perfect pastors and one does not stand in front of you today. I know there are no perfect pastors, staff or other church members, but neither am I. I will not be a source of gossip or dissension one of the greatest contributions I can make is to do all I can in God's power to help keep the church in unity for the sake of the gospel. You know, you may be deciding, where can I serve in the church? What can I do in the church? Well, here's something everybody can do. Everybody, no matter what your position or place, we are called to help keep the church in unity for the sake of the gospel. That's what we're to do. Because listen, if we're unified, there is no team that can stand against us. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And if we keep that focus, not my church, not your church, not even West Concord Church, 
We are the church of Jesus Christ. And you remember what Jesus said, the gates of hell cannot even prevail against us. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.